Hello and welcome to The Game Pit. This is episode 191 and I have returned and I'm Sean. Hello, returning Sean. It's Ronan. Hey everyone, you're very welcome. Sean is back, so that usually means... It means we are continuing our journey into the top 100 games of our personal choices. Did you struggle to find a way to say that before the end of that sentence? Were you halfway through? I was halfway through and I thought, I'm I'm not going anywhere. (laughs) This this isn't going anywhere. Neither is this list, according to to listener feedback. Get on with it! (laughs) (laughs) We hear you. We hear you, everyone. We're getting on with it as quick as we can. Should we kick in? Well, what number is it? 60 to 51. 60 to 51, and I believe, Ronan, you are the starting person. Okay, begin your campaign of sustained abuse, Sean, because you think number 60 is overrated, despite it having a massive bag. A massive bag is the steppy, steppy on top of people one. Give me a C, I can't remember. Yeah, it's really good. What's your number 60? (laughs) (laughs) Castell. is the game about travelling around to different festivals in Spain and drafting in numbered tiles in order to create the best human pyramids you can, but you have to train up and make yourself better at certain things. And different festivals at the same time require different uh, elements of your human pyramid in order to score most points. And you can't see everything that's coming up, but you do have to plan ahead. You get a pattern of the game when it first gets laid out, where you can see where all the festivals are going to be. But you have to adapt to what other people are drafting, what's available. You have to stay on your toes. It doesn't hang around too long. It's attractive. If it's a different theme, you have got different ways in which to create your pyramids. I just think it's an absolutely fabulous game, Sean, and you're wrong about it. I don't think it's a bad game. I think what it is for me is that this was built up so much by everybody who played it before me. It took me a while to get to it. And everyone who had played it and also played Yukon Airways said, oh, this reminds me of... That's three people in the whole world. Three people in the whole world. (laughs) But they just happened to be the people that I was interacting with. And I really love Yukon, as I said in a previous episode. And this one just didn't hold the water that that did for me. Now, it's, it's a decent game, just didn't have the love for it. You are also the only person who links those two games. I was They were linked for me. By? By Matthew, Jude, Dan, other folk. What? They all, said that, they all said that when they played Yukon, they said, oh, this reminds me of Castell, has a similar feeling. Mm, I mean, there's like a, a board in which you go to different places... Action selection, I'm not fully feeling it. I think there's there's differences in those games. I like Yukon, but Castell is brilliant. Anyway, you're number 60. My number 60, I am definitely not on firm ground or on firm space, Roman. Uh, mm, mm-hmm. uh, is it the Artipia Drafter? It is not. It is <laughs> Intrepid, a game oh. where you play various nations and you're in the International Space Station and you are combating various mishaps that are going to happen to you in the in the space station and each of you is in charge of a particular part of the space station so you might be uh, oxygen or whatever wherever the other things are you are responsible for it and it's a real to and fro of a game where if i need something somebody else has got to give it to me from their systems We've got to really work together and all the time eking on the mission. I find it an, a really thematic game. Uh, it's tense, it's difficult, 
and I absolutely adored it. Now, I know you had different feelings, right? I like the fact they made it incontinence proof. <laughs> incontinence proof. Everything's plastic coated. The whole game is plastic coated. Yeah. And I... that is really not to my liking. It doesn't give me a, a tactile feeling that I enjoy. So it's like, Whoa! and then from there, I just thought it was too tight. That's fair enough. It is a very, very tight game. I agree with you about the plastic because it's just gaudy. Oh, oh, oh. Okay. Now you're sitting in my house and there's Christmas decorations up. That's the last <laughs> time you're allowed to use the word gaudy. <laughs> well, where did my inspiration come from? I <laughs> Rachel, shows this in your Christmas. <laughs> right. Sean, number 59. Many years ago, we were at one of the World Cons, the World Con that was in London which will be 2014, 13, something like that. Something like that. And I was on a couple of panels. Mm-hmm. One of them, that eight or nine years ago, wherever it was, was all about apps and how app integration was going to change the face of board gaming. And at the time, I said it's going to affect co-ops more than anything else, and it's going to be a new way to tell the narrative of games but I don't see it getting fundamentally into the mechanisms of gaming very easily because that's not what people want to board game for. I'm just saying that to make myself sound clever because I think that that kind of stands true. It is mostly, apps are mostly just a way to create story or create pacing or narrative for a game. Mm-hmm. They're not actually integrated to what you're doing. There is a game that has actually been around for a little while now which brought the app in as a mechanism Use the novelty of the app to create a unique experience so you actually enjoy the fact you're using the app and creates the narrative, and it's Chronicles of Crime. Oh. And that is my number 59. It is There has been a crime of some, usually a murder, and you are given a crime scene, and then you are given leads of certain people that you have to go and talk to. Now, it's kind of almost got the awkward thing of having to scan people with a QR code and then interact with your phone. There is a reason for that. People change their answers when certain things have been done. So the app is actually necessary for that. It doesn't feel like this could be cards or it could be a book. But one of the things that's really great about it is when you go to a scene, you often get a chance to have a look around. And by looking around, what you can see within the area, you start thinking, is that important? Is this important? And then you start looking into them and say, well, there was a briefcase there. Why was that there? Or there appeared to be broken bottles. Why were there bottles there? And that's how you break the clues and break the leads and all the while you're under a time pressure, and while time's going on, things will happen. People will move locations, or people will get killed, or things will disappear. So the app is driving all along, but it feels integral and not just peripheral to the whole experience. And Chronicles of Crime does that whole experience at a table thing so very, very well. It's my number 59. I think it's a fantastic game. What I am most enamoured with is the fact it's, it's, yeah, it's a great game. It's a great de- game design, but it's also a great technical design. Everything just flows seamlessly. The app just works. You don't have to worry about anything. Uh, and it's all intuitive. So I'll probably talk more about it later. Okay, maybe or maybe, maybe. not. <laughs> maybe or not. Yeah. Your list is a complete mystery. <laughs> so staying with the space theme, my number 59 is an older game, and it's Alien Frontiers. And this is one of the first kickstarter games i think yeah that ever existed and certainly the first one that had the whole buzz and the fomo yeah. and, uh... 
and I just, I just love it. Like I love the theming. I love that kind of retro space feel to it. The the dice worker manipulation is, is one of my favourites in games. I love dice worker placement and manipulation. And this has, this is one of the first, if not the first, that I ever saw it in. And I think it just the area control is interesting. You, you're, you're kind of to and fro in all the time. Done well, and it still holds water for me today because I played it recently and I still enjoy it. So that's why it's on my top hundred, number fifty nine, Alien Frontiers. It would be in my top two hundred at the time. I think I said it hundred times, but at the time it probably it would definitely have been in my top one hundred. I just played it too much. That's all. I really loved it. Everyone around me loved it. I had a copy when other people didn't, and it was requested again and again and again. I played it so much yeah. that it kind of burned out. I think that does hold water because. It doesn't play very differently from from game to game. You get the odd game where someone does something a bit left field, but and even in the expansions, don't really add to it for me. No, I think I think that the expansions are a bit hit and miss. There's some parts of them that work, but some that don't. Yeah, so uh, no, a good choice. My number fifty eight. I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure. Well, I'm, pretty sure. I'm definitely partially you. We are related. <laughs> I'm pretty sure Sean, not easy to show Sean, 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 uh, does like this, but I'm not convinced it'll be in his top 100. It is possibly the only Oink game that I like. It's a fake artist goes to New York, Ooh. in which you need a few players really for it to work. Five or six is probably best. And everyone gets a clue as to what we're all drawing together on a shared piece of paper, apart from one person who gets a question mark. And then everyone is trying to draw so that the rest of the group know that they are part of the group and they know what's supposed to be drawing, but not be so obvious that the fake artist can guess after everyone's had two turns at drawing what the actual picture is. So that as a group, you're trying to find the fake artist and nominate them. If you nominate correctly, the fake artist can save themselves by saying what it, what the word was on the card that everyone's been given. And everyone has an individual colour, a felt tip to colour. You can draw as much or as little as you want to. And it starts just developing this real game within a game, a meta game. It starts becoming ridiculous. People go so obscure because they want to give away what it is that then your suspicions fall on them. It is an activity. It's drawing. It's not. It's like drawing a line or a circle. It's not actually a drawing game. It's much more about playing each other around the table and absolutely wetting yourself at the ridiculous things people have done. So my number fifty-eight, a fake artist goes to New York. Yeah, it's certainly a good choice. I I do love those sort of creative party games where you're creating something, your telestrations, your, even your pictionaries and doodles is a is a family favourite. So yeah, anything along that. And this is obviously a slight tweak on that on that formula, but yeah, it's always, it's always a lot of fun. So my number fifty eight is I'm back down to earth now. I'm in the Wild West, Ronan. Oh, and uh, a bit close to home. I'm on a train. And is it Cult Express? It's Cult Express. <laughs> number 58 is Cult Express. Absolute chaotic fun where you are playing down cards and in the hope of trying to project, not project, predict. That's the one I was after. Words are hard. Uh, words are hard. Predict what is going to happen before you. So you're going to play these cards down one by one, and then they're going to reveal one by one in in the same order. So you're hoping that other people move into space so you can shoot them, or don't move so you can shoot them, or you're grabbing the loot. Absolute chaos. Some cards are played face down if you're going through a tunnel. And there's a group of our friends that come up to us fairly regularly, and this is the game we always start proceedings with because they absolutely adore it. 
And it's just, yeah, as I said, chaotic fun. I love a bit of Colt Express. Now you make me sound like a meanie, and I hope those folks don't listen to this. <laughs> it was a neat trick for four or five games, and then it just got boring, because there's nothing to the game. You don't know. You're, you're putting down cards, you may as well put them down randomly, because you don't know what's going to happen. There's too much going to happen between you playing and it all resolving. Isn't it just like Galaxy Trucker, though? Isn't that the same sort of... No, no, Galaxy Trucker, you can see what the hazards are. And you can build accordingly. You can literally take just look at the cards and see if that's what's but coming you can, up. You can generally see what people are playing. I'm like, yeah, Natalie's But it's played. so little things in Colt Express. Oh, you move that one away but somehow. Anyway, All this chain of cards doesn't work. And it's over in a few minutes. So, But it's not. It it's like 45 minutes long. Yeah, 40 minutes, 45 minutes. Yeah, it's too long for a bullshit game. <laughs> and that's what it is. It's not. <laughs> You're just a miserable, miserable man. Get out. I didn't mean to do this, but, you know, I'm going to roll this in. My number 57 wonders, Jewel. Oh, dear. I didn't do that deliberately, but I just saw this. T- <laughs> I'll go with that. Seven wonders, Jewel, pulls off something that a lot of people didn't think was possible to do a fantastic two-player drafting game. It does it via the way it sets up the cards and that there is real peril in unlocking new cards for someone. But the peril is created by the scoring system in which you can have sudden victories in science or in military if you get let the other person get too far ahead in either of them. But however, you, if they don't happen, you must be playing towards the end game and scoring points. So there's always a balance between what you're choosing. There is definitely always a balance between opening up opportunities for your opponent and making sure you're doing something useful for yourself. It is a fantastic two-player game that stands up after several years. Seven Wonders Duel, I love it. I can't remember exactly what I didn't like about Seven Wonders Duel. And I uh, vaguely, I think... Is it because your decisions are meaningful? That's the one. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Vaguely, I felt it was something to do with one person would get into into a lead or or into a position where everything they did was negatively affecting the other person and the other person couldn't react to it problem i remember it being a problem that other people expressed at the time but i think pantheon fixed it if i'm if i'm right but i'm talking absolute nonsense because i can't think of what it is i don't know it's one player ends up always opening up more cards for the other player if you get stuck in a certain way yeah but there are ways out of it pantheon gives you more ways out of it okay and i think that more plays would reveal the ability yeah well one of the way things you do is is that you you take a wonder that gives you a second go in a row Mm. and you leave it mostly built so if you start getting stuck, you go, right, I'll take this to build my wonder, I get a second go, and now I've unlocked it for myself. Mm-hmm. So there were, there was always ways around it, but they maybe weren't as obvious as they could have been. Mm. And then Pantheon brought in, amongst lots of other good things, that ability to break up the yeah. turn order. I, I, I say I didn't like it. I did like it, but I found that bit frustrating, and it didn't get any repeated play, so I ended up getting rid of it. Fair enough. And it definitely isn't for everyone. If this is not why. This is one I tell you that it, it will suit you or it won't. And after two or three plays, you'll know I'm really enjoying this or I'm not quite getting on with this. Mm-hmm. So I don't see this as a universal, universally love. But. So I was listening to your latest podcast, Ronan, on the way down. And our, talk- our latest our, podcast. Oh, okay, our one, but <laughs> presented solely by you. <laughs> and you were talking about you don't always like sandbox games because you never know what direction to go. So... This my next one is number fifty-seven. It is Merchants and Marauders, which is absolutely a sandbox game. Uh, you're traveling the high seas. You can be a merchant and you can trade, or you can be a marauder. You can steal everything. 
and become pirates. And I just love the freedom that this gives you. It's I think it's very well put together. Probably best at higher player counts when you've got sort of three or four players bowling around the, the Caribbean or that area. But I think it's absolutely a game that gives me a lot of joy. It's a lot of replayability in there. Maybe doesn't get to the table as often as I'd like, but Merchants and Marauders is always going to be in my collection because I thoroughly enjoy it. I actually think Merchants and Marauders is really good as long as I'm in the mood for it. Right. And I knew what I was getting with Merchants and Marauders. I knew it was wide open. I know I'm never going to win a game of it. <laughs> but I accept that and I just kind of make my own little mini goals within it and be like, right, I'm just going to try and achieve this. I'm just going to try and achieve that. And I can enjoy the crack around the table because there's not those loads of rules getting in the way. Yeah. So what I would hate is like a pirate sandboxy game like that with lots of fiddly rules. I'm looking at that popular one from last year. What was it called? Dead Reckoning, was that it? Dead Reckoning, that's it, yeah. Oh, that was just... Sleevey, sleevey ones. Yeah, it just gave me a similar feel with loads of rules. Most of Marauders is streamlined. It's quite long, but it's fun and it's funny. You can see what's going on. Its interaction doesn't take forever. So I actually quite like Merchants. It feels very old school, Merchants and Marauders. Yeah, I'm all right with that. I'm quite old. old. (laughs) Right, next for you. My number 56 was criminally underrated by Sean at number 69. I'm sure he's been told at home. I'm sure he's carcassone by any chance. He's carcassone by any chance. (laughs) Fabulous game. As I pulled Sean up on, as I I usually pull Sean up ever, but I did just this once and said, has it been surpassed as a straight up competitive tile layer? I'm not convinced it has. Not in that play time. It probably hasn't. It probably hasn't as a straight up tile layer, no. You can, without the farmers, you can teach it to six, seven year old kids. Mm-hmm. Add the farmers in once they get a bit older. You can teach newbies. It, it, there is enough game. There's enough dickery in there. There's enough creativity. There's that ability to create the spatial areas and the realisation of, oh, hold on, that it's just a brilliant game. It's a brilliant design. There's a reason there's a million versions of it. And its old rival, Catan, appears to be fading away while Coxon continues to go from strength to strength. Yeah, I'll just say one thing about Carcassonne is that I didn't realise how strategic it could be until I went down to London on board and saw people just setting traps for each other and encroaching all the time. And <laughs> it's really interesting to watch them. <laughs> when you start playing, you play it as a very sort of straightforward, I'm building my castle and that's going to be mine. <laughs> and then you see it's in London on board, like, no, it's not. <laughs> that's going to be three other people's. <laughs> There are definitely ways to play Carcassonne, and I definitely have to uh, moderate how I play according to who's at the table. Sometimes I get warnings. If we're playing it, you're not playing like that. I'm like, okay, all right, I'll play a nice game. <laughs> uh, yeah, 56 Carcassonne. Fabulous evergreen game. So my number fifth, fi- fi- my blip. Blip. My number 56 is Grand Austria Hotel. Ooh. It's another dice manipulation game. Well, dice manipulation. Well, you're, you're rolling dice and you're taking... Each of them is assigned to a certain action. And what you're trying to do is get guests uh, into your into your hotel. And you, you want to feed them. I love the variety in the cards and what they do and the little special actions you get off them. And the choosing of the dice is very interesting and strategic. Now, there has been complaints that you can, especially towards the uh, the end of the game, you can just get hosed. Like, if you don't get the dice that you need and you're last in turn order or what have you, then it can be quite painful and it can be quite punishing. 
but I, I, I still love it. I think it's a classic and uh, it'll stay in my collection. I've recently got the, the expansions. I've touched upon them and the first one wasn't the best, but I've got, I've got high hopes. I've tried. You've tried, have you? I've tried. <laughs> Rachel really likes Grand Austria Hotel. Lots of people I know really like Grand Austria Hotel. And I have done my best to try and like Grand Austria Hotel. I thought you liked it. I wanted to. <laughs> <laughs> but at the end of the day, I just find it boring. Okay. And I think that there is one layer too many for the simplicity of what you're actually doing, of the action selection. I like that system. I like the staff system. I like the setting things up. I think maybe it's the fact you've got to tit around with the room room so much. Mm. And there's the levels and there's the colours and the way they score and you've got to try and do this and get groups of them and all that. I think that is the layer too much for me where I go. For the lightness of this main mechanism, there's too much built on top of it. So that is my whole back on it. I I feel bad for not liking it because it has everything in there that I should like and everyone around me likes it. I just can't get on with it. Well, you go on roll with Matthew because he it's one of the very few games he's played around my house that he's just gone, listen, I'm really sorry, but I hate this. <laughs> <laughs> hate is strong. I don't, I'm, I'm not rushing to play it. It's not Russian, it's Austria. Ah, didn't. Didn't. There we go. Right, you're number 55, Roman. You love 55. Let do me I... have a quick look back to see whether you mentioned it yet or not. So I've got a feeling you might have. Go on, just do a little whistle or a song or a dance. You haven't, so I presume you're going to mention it later. <laughs> it's Francis Drake. Franny D. We, is that really? No, we're not doing that, are we? We are doing Franny. Oh, good old Franny D. That means it's probably higher up on your list. I know Sean adores it. It is a fabulous blend. It takes quite a while to play. It was a fabulous blend of what I am terming progressive worker placement. No one else wants to pick that up for me. Whereby you must continue going onwards and onwards every time you place a new worker but someone can hoover along behind you. They're going slow because the spaces you leave behind you, you can never come back to. Very interesting. Very tight when you're playing with higher player counts. You cannot get everything you want. And you're doing that basically to load up your ship in port. And then you're going to take that ship out to the Caribbean. And then there is a fabulous system there whereby you are face down assigning priority dobbers to different locations and again works best with the full five player count and those dobbers only the the highest priority ones will get to take the limited spaces mm-hmm. so you're trying to get in places where other people aren't you're deciding whether you want to go for trade goods is this the time you're going to do it twice or not you're trying to get in for the highest value things and yet on top of that you must be able to fight the things that you have decided to take on board otherwise you lose that dobber and someone else who's in escrow will get a chance to come in and get a bonus from there there is just constant interaction with planning, with you feeling in charge of destiny, but you're also you're taking risks all the time. You're taking risks if you jump too far forward. You're also taking a risk by hanging behind because there might not be much to sweep up. You're taking risks in assigning your number four priority token somewhere you really want to go, but trying to fake people out, trying to put it down first so that they won't bother going there, thinking you're taking the only thing that's of any use. And it's all about that sort of, Game around the table as well as the game on the board. And they're all three aspects are fantastic. It's a glorious game, Francis Drake. It's beautifully produced. It's ridiculously overpriced. And it's very, very good. I'm not sure if I do have it. And well, then you're wrong. Because I would have thought it would have already been in the show by now. Like in the top 100. 
I don't see it being a top 50, but maybe I did put it as a top 50. Who knows? We'll just go into a little delve into your mind there. You're right. <laughs> <laughs> okay. That's things. I thought it would. I would have already had it. <laughs> so you don't think it's good enough to be top 50? You're saying I've overrated it because there's no way you're putting it 55 or better. That's what you're telling me. I could well have, though. It is a really good game. <laughs> I can't remember how I was thinking. My, my list could have changed 80 times already. That's not good podcasting. <laughs> I'm telling you, this is the 55th. <laughs> I don't know. Let's move on. He likes Friars of Drake. It I may, do like may not it. be a top 100 game for him. I do like it. Right, my number 55... Uh, Roland had issues with it because it needed fixing. It's Railroad Revolution. I really, or used to, before they went off the rails a little bit, used to love... Off the rails, were hey, hey. Got one on the deck. <laughs> uh, what's your game? The people have made it, and they I really was enjoying their, their sort of game, Madeira and whatever, various other ones they had. And this was right up there, sort of worker placement, interesting euro mechanics and it was just one of one of their style of games where the different workers did different things i didn't i wasn't good enough to realize it needed fixing but it has been fixed and now people enjoy it a lot more because there was a, a, a easy win strategy or something See, if you went to telegraph stations the multiplier could get crazy on them. yeah i think that's what it was so you had to go down there basically yeah, I've played the um, fixed version of it, if you like, and I've obviously played the original, and I like it plenty. It is a very good game, again, sort of top 200, top 250, but it doesn't have anything unique enough to put it on my top 100. There's no hook. One game of Railroad Revolution is much the same as the next game of Railroad Revolution. Well, I'll enjoy it, and I'm very, very always happy for a game of it. It hasn't got enough to really push it into the elite for me. Okay, fair dues. Now, my number 54, only a full would rate it at number 68. Only an imbecile (laughs) would think that nations didn't deserve a place in their top 54. (laughs) Uh, Mentioned to death on here, it's an older game now, a civilization, tableau builder. It goes on for a while, but all the time, you are constantly active, you are constantly aware of what everyone else is doing. There are constantly rewards up to be grabbed. You have to have a coherent long-term plan and adapt to the short term what's going on around you and what is suddenly available for cheap and what is uh, too expensive to go for and be on your toes and really a duck and dive and be an agile, successful nation to be successful in the game. So my number 54 is nations. You know what we've never talked about? Go on. Poria fit in his clothes. Yeah, we have. We have. <laughs> Poria's jeans and Pictionary have now been mentioned. I'll go for all my Sean Bingo. Go on, carry on. Okay, I'm moving on because I've already spoke about that one. My number 54 is The Downfall of Pompeii. I came to this quite late, given that it's, a, it's an older game, and I've just grown to love it. It's one of the games... I mentioned the group that like Cult Express. This is another one that we go to, and I feel like it's it's one of those games that you can play with seasoned gamers and new people alike. Everyone's going to have a laugh and a, and a bit of fun playing it. The, the general premise is that obviously Mount Vesuvius is erupting and in the first instance you're placing all your workers, or not your workers, your people, out onto the city by by choosing the cards in your hand to place them out. And then you're so you're trying to strategically place them in groups because you get further movement when you're, when you're running away in the second half and you're also trying to get them near the exits because in the second half the lava's going to start flowing and you're trying to get your people out of Pompeii Alive without getting killed. Sounds a bit dark. 
It is. And it just, yeah, it's a real fun game because you're choosing where the lava Next, flows. Next, Knife Crime, the fun family <laughs> game. <laughs> it is a dark thing. Yeah, the Downfall of Pompeii, really good fun. My first issue with it is it's just a bullshit game. <laughs> Bullshit game, that's true. It is. It's just like a. So, everything that's fun so far on my list is bullshit. Is a fake artist goes to New York? Is that fun? Bullshit game. <laughs> it is, but a good one. <laughs> you can be a bullshit game and a good game. So, and this firstly, is a fantastic game. Firstly, so it is quite throwaway and, and light and all the rest of it. So, things will happen and you haven't got that much control over it. You're just trying to do your best. Understood. The second thing is, I must be a deeply unpleasant human being because, Sean, if we're playing Downfall of Pompeii and you could choose, like, anyone's, it doesn't make any difference to you, and I'm playing in the same game, whose meeple are you going to kill? Yours. Right. The same for 90% of the people that I know. So it's kind of, I, play I, like, can't, I can't help your personality ruining games for you. Neither can I. But I don't have to play the game that makes it so easy for everyone to go. Well, it'll be funny if we all just pick our own and he ends up with one person left at the end. Which is what always happens. So. I need to play more with you. Yeah, you don't. Not this one. Right. Now, if you want people to die in a fun way, if you want to go through pestilence and famine and disease and war, and you really want to see all your efforts go to waste, may I direct you to a magnificent early feld, number 53, revel in the misery of the year of the dragon. Never played it, don't want to. It is fabulous. It is an hour-long max. It is tight. It is difficult. It's drafting. It's about eking ahead of your rivals. It's about making sure you plan well because if you take a risk and you're like, oh, I might get in, I might be able to get that next turn, and I haven't like really planned for these disasters that can continually happen, and you don't plan well, you can be completely screwed and out of the game, 100%. This is a ruthless game. That's a poor design. No, it is there. There is an element of danger in the game, and it's what the game is all about. And it doesn't happen by chance. You see what's going to happen to you. Nothing gets flipped over. There's nothing last minute. It's not the roll of the dice. You see the pattern of bad things coming. It is inherent upon you to plan for it. Now, if you don't play safe, if you don't say, I am going to be able to deal with this now and plan ahead, and you say, I can get a load of points here because no one's gone for this, but it leaves me open to that disaster next turn and things have to fall in line for me. If you have made that choice and it doesn't come off, that was your choice. There's nothing like, you're not flipping over a card and the card kills you. You have decided how to play this. You're playing very, very safe. You probably won't score that many points. Or you're going risky and there's a chance you win, but there's a chance that you really get screwed over. So that's why it feels completely different to those random, you know, if I rolled a one on a D10, I'm, I'm dead. No, that's not what this feels like. This feels like you're in charge. You decide. It's brilliant. He's shaking his head. I'm shaking my head. Because you make one decision and you're out of the game. That is not a good design. It's not one decision. The first disasters don't happen until turn three. So you have at least three turns to plan for it. It's, have you planned for it or not? No. I thought I'd risk it. Wow. Yeah, but you should be able to claw something back. You shouldn't be out of the game. You should never be out of a game. I I disagree. I think that that element of danger where it says, this is going to happen, if you don't deal with it, you're you're in big trouble. I think that's fine. And then you're going to get people who really know the game, and they're just not going to take a risk until near the end, 
And then everyone's going to take a risk. No, you actually become more likely to take a risk when you know the game because you know that you can't win without taking some risks. It's not as it's not as so flat becomes to make somebody, it out. One person's risk becomes you're dissing it without having played it. So you have to play it, and then you can come back and diss it and tell me that it does it badly. I'm telling you the subtleties and there's nuances in it and there's shades. It's not risky or not risky. It's how I'm doing it and what's scarce and what isn't. And da 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 da. I'm putting imaginary strings here. Mm, yourself. What's your fifty-three? My fifty-three on solid ground. Well, you're probably moaning at me for being too low. It's calico. Sheep in wolf's clothing. Wolf in sheep's clothing. I got that wrong. Wolf in sheep's it's clothing. Not, it's cats, mate. <laughs> is it cats? Yeah. That's what it is. Yeah, uh, that's yeah, where yeah. I've been going wrong. Yeah, well, that would be part of it. It looks all cutesy and cuddly, and it looks like it's going to be a nice family weight game. It is really not. Where you're drafting pieces of your calico quilt, or something to do with a calico cat, I don't know, but you're making a quilt, and there's cats that lie on it, and there's various ways to score, and it is a brain burner and one of those games where you're roaring at each other for stealing your tile that you desperately needed. A lot of fun in the box. By far, so far, the from what I'm hearing, because Verdant isn't going down as well as we hoped, I think it's still the king of that uh, series of games. I mean, I've heard of it. <laughs> Even when you're right, you're wrong. But I've I know, heard of I know, it. I know. I Maybe know. we'll talk about it later. Maybe we will. One of the finest strategy Euro games to come out in recent years is my number 52, and it is the mind-bending barrage, in which water will appear on a board and you are fighting over every single drop of this water by building structures and looking to create power to drive your whole economy. It is about worker placement, that is, and it is simple worker placement which drives it all on. A part of that is a very interesting resource management in which there are two... They're just resources. They're, they're called them machines, but they're resources which you must put into building structures and then it takes time you must build more structures take actions to push them around the wheel until they come back to you again so this simple work replacement which is very tight there is a simple but slightly twisted uh, resource management system which is very tight and then there's a fight for the very scarce water on the board in which you're trying to undercut each other or pump it into the right area so it can be used again and again which is very tight and it all creates this fabulous game in which what you're fighting is yourself and your own plans and the other players and not how to play the game because actually the playing of it is pretty simple even though there are goals and bells and whistles and all the rest of it it still is simple decisions and the accumulative effect of your decisions is what's going to drive how well you do real real brain burner off a euro an absolutely fabulous game my number 52 is barrage it's another one i haven't managed to play Partially because I haven't really fancied it. It doesn't really appeal to me. I think if someone sort of put it in front of me and said, like, we're playing this, I'd, I'd play, play it and give it a go, and I'd probably enjoy it, but it just doesn't appeal at all. Why? Why doesn't it appeal? It just looks tedious, and I think that that fight for water is something that's come through in a lot of the reviews, and it just feels like it'd be too stressful and it'd be really sort of irritating if you can't get the water that you need. Yeah. It's another game you can play really badly. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> I don't like games where you can play badly and get hosed. <laughs> mm. <laughs> like, I don't get a bit of luck in games, then it gives me a chance. 
Yeah, there's not a lot of luck in Barrage. It's all driven by what you decide. Right, number 52. 52. This is one of my, this is my cross that I'm going to go out on because I seem to be the only one who really loves this game that I know. Is this War of Mine an incredibly thematic uh, experience of a game where it's set in uh, war-torn Eastern European, I think it's based on Sarajevo, uh, where, where you are basically the inhabitants of this city trying to survive from one day to the next. It's very dark. It can be very depressing. There's lots of harrowing scenes and stories that emerge from it. But I just think in terms of game storytelling, I don't think I've ever seen a game tell a story as well as this War of Mine. Now, Nat just won't play with me because it's, it is very harrowing, as I said. And I find it really hard to get this to the table. No one wants to play it. And I'm desperate to play it one more time at least. And I, I just love this War of Mine. It's brilliant. It's fantastic. And when we reviewed it back how many years ago, I stand by what I said at the time. It is an incredible achievement in game design. It is an experience that each game of it you will never forget because things will happen and you will be invested in it. Not something that's particularly fun to play. But but things don't always have to be fun. I don't have to always watch a film that's fun for me to go, that was a great film. And that's what you get with this world. It's just it's done very, very rarely in this medium that that sort of appeal is is gone for. Mm. It's like, no, you're getting an experience here. It's for you to think about things and realise maybe get a different point of view. So I think it's absolutely fabulous. And were it but for lack of plays, it could well be in my top 100. So I will always play it with you, Sean. I thought you didn't particularly like it. Maybe I'm thinking of somebody else. <laughs> Must be the other good-looking bloke. Yeah, yeah well, obviously the other stunner. <laughs> right, your your final game for today, Randy. I've gone for a weird one. Oh gosh! Do you remember that two-player game where you land on the planet and you build it up with hexes, and then there's animals that come out and they behave according to their own sort of yes. drives. Yes, it's right. called Far Away. Yes, I really want to play this. I'm, I'm very enamoured by the thought. You're not allowed to talk to each other unless you're actually on the same hex as each other. <laughs> and you end up looking at the board and like, what, what? And then quite often when I get on hex, Rachel turns around and goes, you idiot. We said we were going to do this and that. Why did you go around for three turns? And I say, yeah, you're right. <laughs> <laughs> it is rough. It is uh, from a very, very small company. The rule book's not fabulous. There are issues in the components that you would pull up a bigger company for. They're all functional. It just takes some getting used to and working out what these cubes for, what that cubes for. It's all fine. You'll get there. And then you get thrown into this story whereby a corporation that is running on a budget has basically kicked you off into space because it's not invested any money in you and you've taken the risk. If you can fulfill what they want you to do, they will bother to get you back again. If you don't, they'll leave you stranded there and you will die. And you don't even have a functioning radio. That's how basic it is. They sent you out. <laughs> and there are stories that you go through, scenarios where you get, you get more and more advanced things you're attempting to do as you get used to the game. So the, the game, there's more to do because you're quicker at playing. The game doesn't get particularly that long. And the, the key to it, I was mentioning those animals, is that there's this whole set of animals and they will come out as roaming or in burrows and they will have drivers. But the drivers will be like, likes to eat metal. And it leaves it there. And then on your turn, if you're in charge of half the animals each, if your animal activates, you look at it and the prime directive is it likes to eat metal. And then you go, right, 
if I'm that animal and I would like to eat metal, what would I do? Well, I'd go towards the radio mask because I want to eat it. Or is very shy. So you're like, well, this one will move away. Or is a voracious predator. Right, well, then this one's going to go towards it and eat it. And there's, they get more original than that. And there's combinations of two or three sentences where you go, hmm, what would this animal do? And then everyone says you have to role play the animal. It's very, you're not really role playing. You're looking at its directives and going, well, what would it decide to do this turn? And then you, and without being biased and making things work for yourselves, that ecosystem is running and they don't necessarily interact with you. They're not like they will always come after you and annoy you. They might just be chasing the other, the, you know, the lion thing with the scorpion tail might be chasing the rabbit things all the time. And then they'll be running around the board after each other. And you've just got to be aware of that because if you stumble into the lion, it could be a problem. And so like the world feels alive, very, very simple mechanisms which puts the weight on the player to make sure that the game works and all the while that's going on there is a resource management euro backbone to it where you have to sort of get these producing tiles out and produce the right goods and get them to the right place and build the right material and find the cure for the disease whatever it might be and then move on and the whole thing comes together fantastically i'll say it again and again a big publisher pick up far away Polish it a little bit, 5%, and release it. There is a hidden gem there for everyone. This sounds amazing. This is probably the game in your collection that I most want to play. Now, I know I realised that the planets have got to align with our shift work and, uh, <laughs> and our social lives and everything else and the family, but I would love to play this one day. It sounds absolutely fabulous. We could blow out the rugby club social this evening <laughs> and just play this. I think you know we're not going to do that. <laughs> I did. I did know that. <laughs> <laughs> right. So my last game of today, number 51 for me, is La Granja, which is a almost staple of the Euro sort of family that's in my collection. The main aspect of La Granja, Granja is the multi-use cards, and that's that's the heart of the game. And the way you can you can use them for four different things potentially, and you're building up your economy and your tableau and in front of you. And it's one of those games that you do have something visual at the end, which I always say I enjoy. And La Granja is just a really good piece of Euro engineering, and I'm really looking forward to the deluxe version, which I am in like Flynn for, rather than shaking his head. Lunatic. God forbid you have anything deluxe. You already have in the game! <laughs> Why well, you don't play copy two versions at once? I don't, because I traded it. <laughs> oh, it's almost understandable in that case. <laughs> so we won't be playing it next week then. The Granite is a fine, fine game. There are almost too many options for me. I almost get a little bit swamped by all the things that could happen. And like you're saying, you listen to the Mosaic review on the way down. That idea where I go down 16 different paths, but none of them very well. And I get caught in that in the ground. Yeah, she I said that, 17, actually. Oh, but, that's, but that's more in Mosaic. <laughs> I said, like Mosaic, not exactly the same. So the ground is not as open as Mosaic. Okay, it's one okay. level down one in, level the, down. Uh, in the Sandy rating. <laughs> Eki rating and Sandy rating. Write these down, write these down. <laughs> it is a level 16 Sandy rating. In fact, it's not even that much. It's probably a level 11 Sandy rating. But you get my point in that. I, I end up trying to do too many different things. Yeah. And I find it 
actually quite stressful to play because I'm trying to think of so many things at once and trying to balance it all up and then you're going to get in that market and you're going to like you could be aware other people are doing and, and be rivals there and kick them out and but you've got to plan your donkeys to get there and there's a lot going on and it's just like that one level above where I'm happy where I get to a bit like oh am I you am I doing this all right am I using these cards as well as they can be used I'm not. I know I'm not, but I'd like to be one day. But I never will, because it's not the sort of game I'm very good at. But I do enjoy the Grand I still rate it as a good game, but not one that I could play all the time, because my... my I know you said testosterone level was not that. <laughs> <laughs> my cortisone levels would be too He gets bad. very angry. You <laughs> <laughs> just need to do a donkey! There you go. Okay, there we have it. That is, and I've got a look to check, 60 to 51. I'll get there in the end. And, yeah, hopefully you agree with us. And if you don't, let us know. We, we like well, just don't let us know. Just just leave it. <laughs> <laughs> Tell us we're great. <laughs> and this is going to be the last episode before Christmas. So, Yes, so uh, happy Christmas, everyone, and uh, a prosperous New Year. Well, I'll go Merry Christmas and Happy New Year, but there you go. Uh, I hope you have a fabulous one. I hope you get lots of gaming in. Thank you for listening to us. If you did all year, you're much appreciated. Yes, you are. (laughs) (laughs) So that's it for 2022 from the Game Pit. We will be with you in the new year with more reviews and carrying on this countdown into our 10th year. The, the tenth year of podcasting, not this countdown. <laughs> yeah, this countdown, one a year. <laughs> okay, and as always, we are very proud members of the Dice Tower Network. Go there and to the Dice Tower itself for gaming goodness galore. If you used to see us on social media, we have a what do we have? We have an Instagram page, we have a Facebook page, and we're most active on Twitter at Game Pit Podcast. If you wish to contact us, currently most active on Twitter, but not that active because we're waiting to see what happens. Well, yeah, until Elon Musk blows up the world. But other than that, <laughs> we if you wish to contact us and ask a question, we will we'll happily answer them on the show if you'd like. We are the Game Pit Podcast at gmail.com. And you can also pop along to our Board Game Geek Guild on, obviously, on Board Game Geek. So we'll catch you next time. Thank you, Ronan. Thank you, Sean. Thank you, everyone. See you next time. Music by E. Aaron. The Herald Boy Boy Sing Boy 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 Boy